I want to talk from, from this topic of worship. And the reason I want to talk about this topic is because it's something that, that, that has been burning in my heart, something that I've been sensing in my spirit. And it seems like a simple topic. I mean, it's like, yep, worship. I mean, that's sort of what we did for, for the first 20 minutes being here in church. And so like, yep, I know what he's talking about. But I think in some ways, it's some of these basic things that we forget the power of. And, and so, and the reason I want to talk about it is double fold. It's really to create in us a fresh ap appetite for worship, but it's also to put forth an invitation. It's always good when you have a sermon that has a thought and a revelation, but also an application. It's also put forth an invitation for this Wednesday. We've got our first night of worship happening here at Downport Church. And, and, you know, when you're doing something for the first time, it's always wonderful. It's always amazing. But I believe it's, it's going to be a bit of an extended time of worship. Uh, and it's because many people have not had the ability to worship over the last two years. It's great to worship on Zoom. It's great to worship on, you know, watching YouTube. It's great to worship on our lounge. But there's something about the coming together of the church. And so I believe it's going to be almost an hour of worship that's going to be here. And so I just want to encourage, it's also a celebration of our fifth anniversary as a church. So uh, I think that's pretty cool that we get to do here in this building. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. But the this, this text that I want to use this morning is a very popular one. If you've been in church circles for, uh, for even a couple of months or a year, you've heard this story. It's a story of Abraham. And it's also the story of when the word worship was first used in the Bible. Genesis 22 verse 1, this is what it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, the place. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do, do anything. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord 
will provide. Another translation says Abraham called out Jehovah Jireh for the God for God has provided. It shall be said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And the prayer I'm going to pray is that God would supernaturally make you forget everything you've learned of the story. Why don't we do it? Father, do only what you can do. Take us back to kindergarten and make us forget every element of the story so we can see it in fresh light this morning. Yes, we've bought the movie. We've seen the clips. We've seen it on Bible Project. We've made connotations and references and we've seen even Denzel Washington quote this in movies but this morning I pray that you would eliminate that this would evaporate everything that's in our mind in our heart so that you could speak to us in a fresh way do only what you can do in Jesus name I hesitated to preach on this text because of the familiarity of the story but we're going to go anyway so the about the story begins with God calls Abraham and says to him says to him, I want you to give me a son. The first concept I want to share with you is God is not a genie. I think the danger we have in the world we live today, and I'm guilty as charged of sometimes thinking God is my genie. Some people think God is their celestial sugar daddy, but he's not. And, and, and God has this way of teaching us that. And he does it very lovingly. It's not that he's being mean, but he takes us through places and he takes us through stories and he takes us through incidents and he allows things to happen that causes us to understand his nature. You've got to understand at the end of this life, it's not what you've gained, it's not what you've achieved, but it's rather your perception of who God is and who you are in God that matters. And so this whole journey that you and I live is not necessarily even about what we've built or how much is in our bank account or how many houses we own, as fantastic as it is. It does not matter because at the end of our lives, if we have a perception of who God is and, what he, and who He is in us and who we are in Him, that's what matters. And so God is taking Abraham on a journey. I need you to understand who Abraham is because Abraham is quite significant. Abraham was the first person that they, that they credit to the patriarch or the pioneer or the founder of this new faith. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity points towards Abraham. Are you with me? And so Abraham is the starting point. So you've got to understand this when I share the rest of it, because what Abraham discovers is what is what is what is going to be what we are educated with so Abraham plays a big role and the problem is so many times we read the story in the context of Abraham being one of us he is one of us but he was the first of us he is one of us he's not superior he's not inferior he's equal but he was the first who arrived and he was the initiator of this journey called faith in God in this God, in the real God, in Elohim, in Jehovah, in, in the God that we call on, who has a name now, Jesus. And so Abraham is on this journey, and as much as he's on a journey, he's also discovering natures about this God, because Abraham already had a former religion before he began to follow this God. So he's got 
in a sense, a comparison of, or rather, a contrast between what he knew about the gods and this God. So you're understanding. This God says to him, I'm going to make you a great generation. But the problem is he cannot have kids. Finally, after decades of waiting, he has a son, Isaac. And God says to him that I need you to do this. And now I want to read this again, verse 1. Sorry, we're going to repeat the process because now we're going to get into this and what it's about to say. God tests Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. See, the moment we read the text, offer him as a burnt offering, our eyes get blurry. And what happens is we, create, we, we, we apply on our lens tunnel vision. And it's not necessary to do that because you don't burn anybody, God forbid your own kids. So when we read the context of the story, we are reading it with a Starbucks cup in our hand or with, with Tim Tam slams happening in the tea. I mean, that's the context in which we read it. And so what we focus on is the burning process. How could a God be so mean would ask somebody to burn their own child as an offering? What we don't see is that God says these words, the son that you love. What we don't see is that was the very first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible. So we have been introduced to a new word called love used in the tension of a burnt offering. But human nature tends to look at the sacrifice as opposed to the emotion. Of love. Isn't it interesting that the word love is used in this context the first time as opposed to Adam loving his wife or Abraham loving his wife, which tells me that God's understanding of the deepest form of love in the eyes of God is the Father's love, which is why we have a fatherless generation because there's the devil out there trying to kill, steal, and destroy every father in every home so that kids could never experience the love of a father. That's a whole nother message. Happy Father's Day while we're at it. But here's my point. So, so, so we find in the scripture intention where, 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 where we've got burn offering the son you love. God says the word love for the first time. And the word love appears in the Bible for the first time. So that is the context of this. But, and, and then we read, it says, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. I've heard preaching about preaching about preaching on this and it's always made me feel bad. And the preaching I hear is, God says to Abraham to slice and dice his son and he chooses to do it the very next day. Oh, how obedient is Abraham. When you get your money, do you tithe the next day? When you feel offended, do you forgive the next moment? We all have heard preaching like that. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of preaching. The only problem is that is preaching in the Western context. I'm very careful. I'm, I'm careful that I don't go into theology mode because I know we're in Sunday morning mode, but that's what's on the menu. So if you're okay, can we go there for a moment? See, what we got to understand is that 
that the Bible was written in, in unusual times. And the problem is we contrast the Bible with our circumstances. So we think that morning Abraham woke up, went to, had a drive-through breakfast, you know, you know, went and ordered something on Amazon, put something on Netflix. That's not Abraham's context. Now, you're like, yeah, yeah, I understand cultural context. I'm not even talking about cultural talk, context. I'm talking about human context. When Abraham arrived on the scene, the world was barbaric. There was no judicial law. There was no systems. People killed, brothers killed brothers. Incest was common. Barbarism, cannibalism, all sorts of craziness is happening. And the norm of the day was children's sacrifice. So when God says to Abraham, kill your son, it seemed very normal. Are you catching this? See, this is the problem I have with our world today because they tell me that the Bible was so old-fashioned. But when God enters the scene with humanity, the modernity and the freedom that Scripture brings is incredibly liberating. Because we know the end of the story. What's the end of the story? God steps in and says, don't you dare touch your boy. Do you know God, our God, among all those God, when He stepped in and did that, that was so foreign. Because God's found their pride in human sacrifice. Yet our God steps in and says, don't you dare touch that child. So you got to understand this, the context in which the Bible's written. Today we'll pull up a scripture and say, how could God allow that? you got to understand, God allowed the better good to, to keep it away from the worse of good. Sorry, God allowed the better bad, the good or bad, to keep it away from the better bad. Are you with me? So, so, so this, is a, this is the dispensation that God is in. This is the context that Abraham is in. And Abraham's norm was, this is what I'm about to do because every other faith sort of does this. So I guess this is what my God expects of me. What God was doing that day, church, was he was writing history in a new way when he stepped in the middle of that sacrifice and he said, no more. So contextually, when the news goes around that Abraham's son was spared by his God, every other God follower of another God was perplexed because they had never experienced the grace and mercy that Abraham had. So it confuses me when people say the Bible is so out of touch, not knowing that Bible was God's way of redeeming us from our barbaric habits. That we would still be eating each other and sacrificing things if it weren't for the word of God. And so we got to understand this. I'm, I'm sort of feeling like I'm addressing culture here and that was not the point. But, 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 but the context of scripture is important. And so that is the backdrop in which this is happening. And so the scene is Abraham is in this extreme moment. He's going up. I've sort of gone ahead of myself and that's okay. Because in verse 4, something happens. It says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Just like God mentions love for the first time, this was the first time anybody mentions worship in the Bible. And I've learned this because they teach it all the time. But what amazed me this week was when I read it, that it wasn't God who called it worship. 
He was Abraham who called it worship. I want you to understand that worship is not something God initiates. It's something that we must. And we can only initiate this kind of, God cannot demand this kind of worship. Only we can demand this kind of worship. See, in heaven, it's God's agenda, but on earth, it's ours. And that's why to worship God in the middle of pain, in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of sacrifice, in the middle of anxiety, in the middle of pain, is our biggest offering unto God. It's when we say, I am in pain, I can focus on my pain, or I can, I can call my pain worship. I'm feeling, I've just experienced tragedy. Yes, the tragedy is bad, but I can focus on my tragedy or I can pour it out as an offering of worship unto God. Let me tell you, church, when you take on that posture, it changes everything. When you take on that posture, it, it, it moves the heart of God. When you, take, when you take on that posture, you have a deeper understanding of the nature and the character of God. And God is looking for people that will take a deeper posture in the season, that will be willing to define their world and name it a new thing. You can look at your unemployment and look at it as a moment of being disqualified, or you can look at it as a moment of worship in the midst of confusion. You can look at your poverty and call it poverty or you look at it as an opportunity that in the middle of your lack, I will not lose my praise. You can, look at the, you can look at the loneliness that you're feeling, but you can look at that loneliness as an invitation to go deeper in worship towards God. God cannot demand that. Only you can name it. God has given you naming rights to call what your worship is. And so here we, have here we have Abraham saying these words, worship, it's coming out of his mouth and heaven is hearing it for the first time. He's defining this deep sacrifice as his depth of worship. And I feel we have a generation that thinks worship is a slow song. Worship is when the lights go dim and the smoke comes up. Or oh, they've changed it now. Worship is when there's a keyboard and there's intergenerational and uh, demographical. It's not just all white people. It's not just all black people. You get the white people, the black people, the Hispanic people. All the, that's worship. I can say that you can't. <laughs> that's worship. We, we, we think that's worship. We try to genre worship. No. Worship is what you call it. It's your sacrifice, it's the depth, the pain, the tragedy, the anxiousness, the things that you feel. It's in that place that you say, I will choose to worship. Worship is what causes you to look at your offering. And your offering is asking you, who is the offering? And you ain't telling your offering that it is the offering. And you're looking at your offering and you're saying, God will provide. That is the depth of worship I'm talking about. I believe there's a new sound rising. And I'm not talking about albums and songs. And I'm not talking about any of that. I praise God for the albums. I love the songs. But I think if we just allow the songs to lead us, we've done heaven a disservice. Songs are not meant to lead us. We are meant to lead the songs. I think if we, if we give, it's almost like we've gone into the old covenant where they, the children of Israel wanted the priests to worship. But God said, no, I want my people for I will pour out my spirit on all flesh so that they will prophesy, so that they will worship, so they will pursue me, so that they will go after me. And that is only produced here on earth at the place of pain.
It's not at the place of celebration, sorry. It's at the place of pain. And so if you're going through pain, there's a playlist in your soul that's waiting to be played. If you're going through anxiety, there's a track in your mind that heaven needs to hear. I'm not saying go and write a song. I'm saying living that life of worship. What does worship look like? Because let me tell you, in heaven, there's no, there's no more dying. There's no crying. There's no cancer. There's no illness. So you can never worship in the middle of your pain in heaven. The only time we have the ability to worship God this way is here on earth in the middle of our pain. And we can choose like Abraham to worship and see what God does on the other side of our worship. Abraham initiates worship he initiates worship and you know it's interesting that Abraham turns to Isaac and says God will provide can I tell you that those three days God didn't talk to Abraham we have this idea that God spoke to Abraham then the next day God said go and order a latte go and get this go and buy that flag Go and get that shofar. Go get a tattoo while you're at it. God didn't say a word. But you know what I love about Abraham? He turns to Isaac and he says, God will provide. Because worship gives you a confidence in the nature and the character of God, even when you feel he's absent. <laughs> worship gives you a confidence in the nature and the character of God, even when you feel he is not present. For Abraham to become God's mouth. Who gave Abraham that authority? He is not authorized. He didn't have a word from God. But he had done enough runs and he had worshipped enough. And he had known the heart of God. And he had known the nature of God. To know that God in his core is good. He's not bad. He's not evil. He's not like the other gods. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Maybe Isaac's going to resurrect himself. Maybe I will be blessed with another Isaac that I might name Isaac 2.0. I might need to do this 20 years. I might have to do this journey again. One more round, another round. But I know in the core of God, he is good. And worship gives me the ability to be the mouthpiece of so many of us have forgotten what God sounds like. And you're like, God, speak to me. Maybe if God's not speaking, it's a great moment to worship. Maybe if you're not hitting God, maybe it's time to worship. Maybe it's time to just say, God, I can't hear you. But between this mountain and that, I'm going to keep worshiping. Between my home and this mountain, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep walking. And the walk is painful. It's a three-day walk. I wish it was just a 30-minute walk so I didn't have to think this through. And I want you to think about the anxiety going through the mind of Abraham killing Sarah. What's he going to say to Sarah? Abraham making plans and what the decisions are, but yet kept walking, not knowing the heart or where God was at, the absence of God, but yet choosing to worship in the middle of that absence. That's what true worship is. And God is looking for a generation that will choose to worship even when, he, when you feel that he is absent. 